0: Good evening. evening. My role, everybody's out of whack over here. I don't know what Kelly's fault. Kelly's fault. Kelly is at fault right here. I'm, and I'm singing. Kelly and Shorty are too close. <laughs> Boo and Sheila are too far. Oh, everybody's out of whack over here on this one tonight. So, all right. Well, it's all right. It's funny how we get addicted to our spots. On if there's one thing out of place, you, you, you notice. You notice where that one thing is, but. Uh, it is the Rice Sisters, I'd say, them not being here, but we're got, we, we got a good Rice Sister here with us, with us tonight, I, I can say that uh, for sure. <clears throat> you ever said something along the lines of, I don't feel full, maybe when we're eating or something like that, or maybe the opposite, I don't feel hungry, right, we've thought about that before, my, y'all got my examples out of whack here. i getting to what I said. I don't feel sleepy. You ever thought that? I, Will has never felt sleepy in his life. Every time Will's in about time, you got ready for bed, I don't feel sleepy. I've told y'all the story before. That time he was sitting in the chair and he had his fingers on his eyes like this, <laughs> holding them open. Sometimes we've been awake for a couple of hours and we said, "I, I'm up, but I don't feel awake. We probably said... That kind of thing uh, as well, you know. In the last week or so, uh, I haven't felt the best, and I thought, well, I don't. Maybe we thought I don't feel sick, or maybe I don't feel that bad, right? Well, sometimes we kind of trick ourselves into our feelings. We've all heard the term "mind over matter," right? And so sometimes if we've been working, we've got a little bit more work to do or whatever, we can trick ourselves into thinking that I'm not sleepy or I'm not tired or I'm not hungry or something along those lines. We can think about whatever it might be, but we kind of have to trick ourselves. But we have these questions about, I don't feel. And so tonight, our question to start with is the question of, why don't I feel forgiven? Have you ever felt this way before? ever experienced this or thought about this. I think this is probably something that anybody who's a Christian has had experience with. Part of the reason that we sometimes maybe don't feel forgiven is because we often have a hard time forgiving other people. And we know that there are things that people maybe have not forgiven us for. So our human nature makes it difficult to forgive people when they do something wrong Or they do something dumb. And maybe we don't forgive them. And maybe we do forgive them. But we lose a little bit of trust in that person as well. And so we then take those feelings that we have toward other people. Or we know that other people have towards us. And we sort of extrapolate those feelings onto God. And we say, well, if I am having a hard time forgiving my brother of his sin or mistakes, or whatever word you're going to use, and if I know that he has never really forgiven me for something that I did, then it makes sense to us that it might be hard for God to forgive us. Now, the Bible doesn't really teach that at all, but mentally, we sort of struggle with that. We think, I've done so many things wrong, I've done so many things that shouldn't be forgiven, that maybe I don't feel forgiven. So tonight we're going to look at four things that are lacking that cause uncertainty. The story of Matthew and Mark of the rich rich young ruler, you know the story, we talked about it, but in both versions, the Matthew version and the Mark version, the question is, what do I lack? We know what it means to lack something, right? If something is lacking, there is something that we do not have, okay? And think about how a lack of something can cause a problem. Think about if you left an ingredient out of a, a, a meal or out of some kind of food. It wouldn't, maybe wouldn't necessarily mess it completely up, but it could affect it somewhat. Think about how a lack of health maybe affects our day. I went to work on Wednesday this week after I'd been sick on Tuesday, and I went on Wednesday and I felt better. But I would also have argued there was something wasn't quite right. It's kind of lacking a little something right there. We know when something is lacking. So let's think about four things that could be lacking. First of all, think about perhaps a lack of faith. Is it possible that our outward expression of faith might be little more than lip service? You know what it means to pay lip service to something? You ever heard that saying before? Saying it, but not really meaning it, right? I, you know, this, I'll do this, I'll do that, whatever it might be. But this lack of true sort of oomph behind it, uh, it, it might be. In First John chapter 1 and verse 9, we know if we confess our sins, that He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, we know that verse. That's not a new verse for anybody. <clears throat> here this afternoon. But we know what that verse is, but we sometimes still feel unforgiving. So we can look at that verse right there and say, there's really no excuse for feeling unforgiven." But the reality of the matter is, is that sometimes we lack that faith that is presented in that verse right there. Now, we're not necessarily alone in our lack of faith. Can you remember an example of Peter? He was on the boat. He takes a walk onto the water and things are going well and then things are not going well. What was the first thing, question or statement, whatever it was? What did Jesus say to him right then and there? He says, O ye of little faith!" right? And you say, well, that's Peter. And we'll talk about Peter again here in a few minutes. But Peter was chastised for a lack of faith. Now, is it realistic for us then to sometimes struggle with faith? Of course it is. We talked about that quite often. But anybody can struggle with faith. But sometimes that question that was asked of Jesus by Jesus to Peter may have to turn around and come to us. Are you struggling with this, O ye of little faith? Because I can turn to First John right there and realize that God's going to hold up His end of the deal. But that has to, be, it has to be faith on our side. And so do we sometimes maybe lack that faith? Do we sometimes feel unforgiven because we don't really trust that God's going to hold up his end of the deal? Why would we not trust it? Well, what's it like in daily life? How many times have we been let down by other people? Well, the problem is, we will always let each other down. As good as our intentions, are, man will always make mistakes. Man will always mess up. Man will always leave or let you down. But there's no biblical examples of God letting people down. Okay? Well, what if it's maybe then a lack of honest? Now, if we're going to genuinely repent... It's absolutely necessary that we face up to our own sins. Think about that for a second. We have to be honest with ourselves. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, about being honest with one another. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 39. You can read all of Acts chapter 2 if you wanted to, but turn with me right now to Acts chapter 2. And there's a handful of verses there that we're going to look at. <coughs> and this is a good biblical example of people facing up to their own mistakes. Their own sins. And this is Peter on the day of Pentecost preaching preaching, uh, what we tend to call the first gospel sermon. He's preaching to an audience, what appears to be a fairly large audience of people, and many of these people would have been Jews because that's where this faith had emerged from in the first place. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they heard what they had been told, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. Now, the people listening to Peter, we've mentioned this before in class, they were so eager to... For forgiveness that they didn't even let Peter finish what he was trying to say. Who knows what Peter's sermon was going to go on to be like. Because they stopped him before they even let him forget, or, or, or finish. But they say, what must we do to be saved? There was an honest reckoning in the crowd at that moment. When people realized they had done wrong and they needed to fix it. What do they need to be saved? And what Peter then says in verse 38 and 39 as he tells them to repent, so they got to change, be baptized, and forgiveness of your sins. But he said, This promise is not even just for you, it says it's for you and for your children and for the peoples afar. He draws a huge circle. It's not just the people that are right there. This is going to extend out a whole, whole, whole long way. But. There had to be honesty right there because I would imagine that at some point, from the moment that Peter started talking, there were some changes of heart in the audience. Right? There were some people that said, "Ah, oh, we didn't do that. We had we didn't really do anything wrong. Were we the ones that did wrong? Were we? Was that us?" And to the point that it takes about thirty some odd verses, and finally they're like, "Yeah, stop. You got to stop. We got to fix it right now." But there has to be an honesty that goes along with it. Assurance of pardon can't come until we confess the sins that we have. Think about that for a second. Whenever, we, uh, whenever somebody's baptized, one of the questions that's immediately asked is, do you confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you repenting? Are you genuinely sorry for the sins that you've made? We have to be honest. We said, well, no. no I, I, I've never done anything wrong. You ever heard anybody say that? You never heard anybody come to the front and ask, uh, and right before they're about to be baptized, somebody say, Are you, do you repent of what you're doing? Like, nah, not really. They never done anything wrong. We're good. Nobody's ever said that, have they? You would be floored if someone said that. Because that person at that moment is probably as honest as we will ever be in our entire life. Do we lack that honesty sometimes going forward? Three. Lack of sorrow. (coughs) Lack of sorrow fails to work genuine repentance. You ever apologize? I don't mean the good apology, I mean the bad one. I'm sorry. You ever done that apology? Everybody who has a sibling has done that apology, right? Everybody who's never been in trouble at home has given that kind of apology. Sorry, I broke your mom. Alright, You know, you know what it's like, right? We don't really genuinely mean it. But what are we apologizing for? The whole purpose that we're apologizing. Man, I got caught, and I hope that she won't be mad at me. I'm sorry. I won't ever do it again. We can. Y'all laughing? You can all relate to this, right? We sometimes even do it when we get old. But this lack of sorrow that sort of exists within that apology. <clears throat> now, are our apologies to God? the same way. Think about a bad apology that you've given at some time in your life. Think about a good one. Are our apologies to God closer to the bad one or closer to the good one? Well, it probably needs to be closer to the good one. But the reality is for all of us, being included, is it sometimes leans a little more this way. Sorry. You now Think about that for a second. Mom saw right through that. I'm assuming you saw right through that. I can't promise that you did. Maybe we can. Jess and I convinced you that we genuinely were sorry in some of those kinds of things. You probably saw right through that, right? But do you think God would see through those same kinds of apologies? Absolutely so. So there's this lack of sorrow that sort of exists right there. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. <coughs> 2 Corinthians 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 We're going to read verses 2 through 12 In my Bible At the start of 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 2 it says The Corinthians repent And so the Corinthians This is the second book to the church at Corinth And this is Paul writing to these people Follow along with me here This is 2 Corinthians 7 Starting in verse 2 Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulations. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. But now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but what? It says right there, but that your sorrow has led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to what? Salvation. Leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrow in a godly manner. What diligence is produced in you? What clearing, <clears throat> what clearing of yourself, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication? In all things, you've proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered the wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Well, think about that for a second. He said that they kind of had to chastise him a little bit. It's sort of what we read right here. And sometimes when we take that chastisement, we get a little upset, Right. But we don't really get upset, we kind of get mad. Is there a difference between upset and mad? I don't want to hear that. I don't need to hear that from you. But he said, you, he said I'm sorry for it but I'm not really sorry for it. Because the point of it was to do what for the Corinthians? The point of it was for them to realize A, that they had done wrong and then B to come about with godly repentance. And as we get toward the end we see that they were all better as a result. Oh. Now do we sometimes lack sorrow? Let's go back to my apology a minute ago. I don't know that I was super, apolog- uh, super sorrowful when I apologized. I wasn't necessarily sorry for what I've done, but I'm sorry for what? That I got caught. But right here we see a sorrow that grows, a godly sorrow. Because as we read there in the scripture, godly sorrow then brings repentance. It can't just be, I'm sorry. But there has to be a genuine sorrow that's in it as well. This morning we talked about (coughs) these. Heartfelt up repentance results in a real change in our actions. Now, think about that, a real change in our actions. Let's go back to the question I asked you a minute ago about somebody who comes forward. Somebody who says, I would like to repent. I would like to change. I need to fix something about my life, whatever it might be. That is a bold step toward obedience, is it not? It's really difficult to walk out in front of a crowd or even call somebody one-on-one and say, I have messed up and I need to fix it. There's heartfelt repentance in what takes place. But you can all probably remember the night that you were baptized. And if you, had, and you might even remember the night where you tried to... Came forward and you said, I've done wrong, I need to fix this. You may even be able to mark that on a calendar, an actual date. But is our heartfelt repentance one time or is our heartfelt repentance all the time? Because how often do we need to repent? As so many times as necessary, right? We can't just say, Well, I repented 1996, that ought to cover everything, right? Well, the Bible tells us that we repent, we baptize, we're going to, we can be saved, but we still have to repent of our sins. But we're still going to make mistakes. We all mess up. We can't just let the sins carry on. Romans tells us we can't do that. We can't just sin and let grace of So we have to realize that we make mistakes, but there also has to be a repentance that's in there as well. A godly sorrow, as we talked about just the second. Matthew 3.8 says that we have to bear fruits that are worthy of repentance. Think about the fruits. Think about what we do as a Christian. That's our bearing of fruits. Do our fruits match our repentance? Well, if they don't, then we need to do what to our repentance? We got to change it, right? It's got to come back to the forefront because without it, we're not going to bear those fruits. So what actions have we taken since we repented? Well, let's take a test. Turn to John, excuse me, 1 John, chapter 3. 1 John, chapter 3. It's too early to brag on myself, but both of our readings tonight have come from numbered books, and I've not messed either one up. We're not done yet. 1 John, chapter 3, okay? 1 John, chapter 3, verse 19 through 22. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Talk about four things tonight that could be lacking. 1 John chapter 3 here says there's a pretty easy test. If our heart condemns us, what do we need to do? Got to fix it, right? But if it doesn't condemn us, then we're not lacking in the faith of what God will do for us. Promises of God are such that there's no reason for being uncertain about being forgiven. That was the first scripture we read. That was the point of reading 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 a few moments ago. The only thing lacking is found where? It's found in us, right? It's not found anywhere but in us. So if we're lacking in faith, that might require a little bit more study, right? If we're lacking in honesty, then we might need to have a little more realization of our own sins. We can't say that we don't sin. There's no place for us to say that. So there has to be some honesty that's there as well. If we lack in sorrow, then we might have to have a little bit more repentance. We might have to fix that. We might have to change that just a bit. And if we lack in obedience, well, we might have to obey. And that obedience tonight might be that you may have to come forward and be baptized. Because you've never done that before. Or it might be that you were baptized. It's on the calendar. You've got the date written down. But something has changed. Something is wrong. Something about what's been going on in life has sort of pulled you away from it. But there's nothing lacking in God. The only thing lacking is in us. You've seen the old signs that say, if you feel farther from God, who moved? You ever seen those signs before? Well, God is the one constant, the one permanent, the one standard thing. And so any lacking that exists in us it's just because we are moving farther and farther away. Tonight, whatever we can do, any way we can help you, we'd invite you to come a little closer while we stand and